Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 23rd of November 2023. On market day, we will speak with Chris Weston from Pepperstone. But first, to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which shares, which says the Australian population could almost double in nearly five decades. New projections based on fertility, mortality and migration shows the number of people living in Australia could go from 26 million to about 46 million by 2071. For more, Raina Bosch spoke with Ashley Fell, a social researcher at Macrindle. These latest projections show us that in 50 years' time, Australia will be older due to an increasing median age and that will be bigger as well in population size. And these types of projections are important because they help us to plan for what this growth could look like and therefore to plan for the future. Looking at these figures, migration growth is a major contributor. Is this sustainable? Migration has been the major contributor to population growth here in Australia for the last few decades, and particularly in the last year or so as we've rebounded back from years of closed borders. And although we did have those years which did impact some of the projections, this latest release does show that migration isn't going to slow down over the next few decades, and it can be sustainable if it is properly planned and accounted for. Now, you've mentioned twice the importance of planning when looking at these numbers. We know at the moment that Australia is undergoing a housing crisis. Looking ahead, what would need to be done to accommodate this kind of population growth? Yeah, housing trends are very intricately linked with population growth, influencing interest rates and mortgage accessibility. As a result, one of the implications could be that the great Australian dream of home ownership will become more of a privilege and more of a challenge for many to obtain, particularly in capital cities where supply is short but demand is high. So if these projections play out as forecast, I think we will need to see some amendments or some changes around the accessibility um, and the provision of housing across Australia. Today's projections also reaffirm the government's findings in its intergenerational report around the ageing population. What does the government need to do to allow for this? I think definitely we need to see um, a big addressing of this kind of slow wave of demographic change, which is that, that ageing population. Uh, we will need to see, um, I guess, different ways and different um, options of bringing in uh, younger people to the equation to offset that ageing population. There's taxpayer considerations that need to be uh, thought about and also just how we support and care for those among our population or in our population who are ageing. So a pretty complex demographic trend there and one that we definitely need to keep on the radar. Finally, Ashley, what kind of insights does this data provide into Australia's broader economic needs? The story of population growth brings economic benefits to a nation. Overseas migration, fueled population growth specifically, does bring benefits like increased consumer demand, innovation and diversity, cultural enrichment, global influence and an attribution of younger citizens, which can offset an ageing population. However, of course, there are challenges that come with this too, particularly at an individual level when it comes to housing supply and demand, which can have a big flow on impact as we 
we've seen in recent decades on housing affordability. And this does impact many Australians, particularly in their younger years, trying to get a foothold. So it's definitely something for us to keep in mind as we think about benefits, but also the challenges that surround this growing population story that we have here in Australia. That is McCrindle's Ashley Fell speaking with uh, Raina Bosch. Now let's go to the Reserve Bank Governor, uh, Michelle Bullock, who continues to warn interest rates may uh, have to rise because inflation is taking longer than expected to fall. But in a speech overnight, Ms Bullock highlighted that it is local demand that is keeping prices higher instead of supply. She made those comments at an Australian business economist's dinner overnight. And here's a bit of what she had to say. So there are three pieces of evidence that collectively paint a picture of a sizeable demand-driven element to inflation. The first signal is that inflation is broadly based. This is evident from trim mean inflation, which remains too high and in the most recent quarter was stronger than we'd earlier expected. And if we look across the CPI basket, around two-thirds of items have inflation running above 3%. Indeed, as you can see from the graph, often a long way above that number. Inflation is lower on average for only a few items, a few volatile items, such as fresh food and holiday travel, and for some items for where government subsidies have recently been increased. So inflation is much broader than just rising prices for petrol, electricity and rents. Prices are rising strongly for the majority of goods and services we all consume. Now, the second indicator of inflation being driven by domestic demand is that it's increasingly underpinned by services. Hairdressers, dentists, dining out, sporting and other recreational activities, the prices of all these services are rising strongly. This reflects domestic economic conditions, not international, and it's an indication that aggregate demand is sufficiently greater than aggregate supply to sustain these price increases. Now, the cost of these services is also typically driven by the price of domestic inputs, since labour and domestic non-labour costs comprise most of the inputs used in supplying them. The bank's liaison with firms indicates that these domestic cost pressures are proving persistent. Labour costs have risen, especially when we incorporate the effect of weak productivity growth, and the price of domestic non-labour costs, such as energy, business rents and insurance, has increased notably. On the other hand, as you can see, imported cost pressures are starting to subside. The third signal is the continuation of limited spare capacity, and that's most evident in high rates of labour utilisation. There continues to be a clear link between services inflation and measures of spare capacity, since it's easy to raise prices when firms cannot keep up with customers' demands. We're also hearing in our business liaison with firms that capacity utilisation is very high, and various indicators of activity suggest that demand in the economy has been stronger this year than we'd expected. So we're therefore getting both a signal from inflation and activity data that the level of aggregate demand continues to exceed the level of aggregate supply. Now, an important implication of this homegrown and demand-driven component to inflation is that getting inflation back to target will take time. 
it took only three quarters for inflation to fall from 8% to 5.5% as the supply side issues eased, and there's still a bit more to go there. But we expect it's going to take another two years for inflation to fall that much again and move below 3%. This is because much of the, task, the remaining task of bringing inflation back to target will require bringing aggregate demand and aggregate supply into closer alignment. And that's what the board's aiming to do with monetary policy, to slow the growth of demand enough to bring inflation back to target while keeping employment growing. That is the RBA Governor Michelle Bullock speaking overnight. To the Australian share market now, the uh, S&P ASX 200 did fall today down by about 0.6%, 7,029. For more, I spoke with Chris Weston from Pepperstone. Can we talk interest rates? Because we've heard from both the US Fed and the RBA Governor in the space of 48 hours. What's the market thinking about the direction of interest rates? Because it feels like while the US may have peaked, here in Australia, rates still have a, a bit more to run. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at listen to uh, Governor Bullock's comments overnight, uh, saying that inflation was increasingly homegrown, I think the market's saying, hang on a sec, yeah, that doesn't sound like we've got a central bank who wants to cut rates anytime soon. And actually, if you look at the pricing for the February meeting next next year, there's about a 50-50 chance that we get a rate hike there. If we go into pricing and market expectations throughout the full year, we've actually got um, about four basis points of hikes. Now, if you compare that to the US setting, where the March the, the markets is assigning about 20% probability that we get a cut in March, which is way too early, um, but they are opening the door, the market's saying by about May that we should start seeing rate cuts coming through from the US and probably going to get three rate cuts from the Federal Reserve by the end of next year. Compare that to our policy settings or expectations, and it's quite an interesting stark contrast. And that's similar to what we're seeing in the UK, where markets are expecting a couple of rate cuts next year, Europe about three rate cuts. Um, so Australia and Japan seem to be the outlier where the market's saying we're not expecting any activity really the bank to sit on their hands with a small chance that we actually get a hike. Um, but everywhere else is expected to ease reasonably aggressively. Uh, what does that mean for currencies? And is it more of a story about a weakening US dollar then? Well, absolutely. The, the primary driver of all of this is, is the US dollar. And I think when you have a look at those expectations for interest rates by the end of next year, as I say, the market is discounting three or four rate cuts. The question is, is will they actually deliver that amount? Um, and I suspect that's going to be a strong no. I mean, I, don't, I think probably going to get two rate cuts towards the back end of next year. Um, but, you know, obviously forecasting is, is, is very difficult to do. But that's the situation. The market has discounted a reasonably aggressive rate cuts next year with the market. The central banks expected to bring the policy rate to a more neutral setting. Um, but if they don't deliver that, one suspects in a very simplistic fashion that there could be some upside to the US dollar. That said, if we are working off pure pure policy divergence, one suspects that we could see some strength in the Australian dollar if the RBA maintain this, this, this kind of hold higher for longer mantra playing through. But the question is, is what do we play it against? And I think you're probably going to see that strength against the pound, the euro, uh, and also um, you know, some of the Scandinavian currencies there as well. And uh, just finally, oil, it's taken a bit of a tumble overnight as OPEC Plus delayed its weekend meeting. What's the supply-demand uh, dynamics saying about the global economy? I think the key one that you want to look at, you know, they've extended the OPEC meeting to the 30th there. The, the, the key dynamic that we're looking at to understand if we're going to see just a, an extension of the supply cuts, which I think is the very, very likely situation, or do they actually cut 
those rates, those supplies even further. And the, 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 the dynamic that we've been given is that uh, they've said that oil demand growth uh, is around 2.2 million barrels a day going into 2024. And if you contrast that to non-OPEC supply growth at 1.4 million barrels, they're seeing that demand growth growing. And that tells me that there's a very hot, that, that means it sort of weighs the probability that OPEC are not going to cut that supply any further because of those those dynamics there. So they're saying, you know, that, that demand growth is going to outsupply, out, 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 outpace supply. Uh, and that's how I think we're going to keep and just roll over those extensions, which in theory um, will keep the oil price fairly at these suppressed levels. Chris Weston there from Pepperstone. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.